You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, I'm not preaching today, but I am going to introduce our guest speaker today. Um, all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, Dr. Gabe Bouch is going to be uh, speaking uh, to us today. I use that doctor because not only is he a pastor and former campus minister, uh, but he also uh, went in around there and got a PhD in mathematics at Rutgers University. So we can just call him Smart Brother. Um, <laughs> and his lovely wife, uh, Jennifer, also is uh, with us. So we've invited him and uh, ordered up like record-breaking warm temperatures. You know, cause he's originally from around the Orlando, Florida area. And so he wouldn't, wouldn't want to, but anyway, Philadelphia gets snow and cold. So he's used to it now. But can you give a warm Toronto uh, welcome to Pastor Kate? And Jennifer. Well, good morning. Good morning. So great to be with you guys. Wow, what a pleasure. And yeah, Bert, thank you for ordering up the warm weather for us. Uh, I love Toronto. It feels amazing. I don't know what all this complaining is about cold weather and the snow, but this is incredible. And um, I asked my wife Jennifer to come up and uh, before we get into it too much, to introduce our family. So. Everybody, it's so great to be here with you. This is so fun. Um, I've always dreamed of coming to the lands of the north, and so I'm finally here. So um, I also grew up in Florida. Dave and I are both Floridians, and we're going back home for that conference. And our whole family will be there. So if you come, I don't know if you'll see the youngest two around the hotel. They're, they're not students. Um, <laughs> actually, those, that's our chapter two in the middle. The two youngest kids um, are Peter and Victoria. And um, I spend all day with them because I homeschool them now. And uh, Peter, this afternoon, is at a little piano audition. He plays piano on, on the serious track, kind of. And um, Victoria will be at her first string orchestra. She plays violin. Um, uh, well, she says, she told her friends this week, I make her play. <laughs> I think she kind of enjoys it. Um, and she's finally doing some rewarding things after the years of online lessons and such. So, and then our older chapter of kids, um, in the middle next to Gabe and the dress is our oldest daughter, Clara. She's 23. She graduated from a music conservatory. There's this theme of musicians in our family. Not everybody is this. So, listen, Clara. Um, is living at home right now for a short season and deciding what to do next. She has dreams of um, moving to Asia and different places. So, um, And then Haley is next to her in the white. Haley is a senior at Augusta University, um, and we picked, and she's a nursing major, she'll be graduating as a nurse, and um, that wasn't just a random college application. We have a sister, Every Nation Church in Augusta, Georgia, and, um, in Focus Church, and she's there, part of that college ministry. And then on the very left is Miriam. She's 19 and a student at a local New Jersey school, Rowan University. She's a psychology major. And she's kind of our entertainer of the family. She's maybe the main entertainer. Um, <laughs> and she can always ham it up. And actually, and then next to Miriam is Callan. He's the one who's changed the most since this picture. Um, and he's, well, you know, much taller than the rest of us. And he... Um, uh, He's just marching band. Um, he's doing marching band right now. Yeah, he's they big. just won the state championship. He's the he's the text group comedian of our family. Actually, he and Miriam. It's the teenager thing. They're both you know they do the teenager thing. They keep us entertained with that. 
Love it. Thank you, honey. We love our family so much. And you probably noticed the theme that um, I got a PhD in math and we have six children, so multiplication is a really big deal for me. And uh, I try to apply that to every area of my life. Well, it is such a joy to be with you. And today I want to begin in Acts chapter 2, but before we get there, I want to set up a little context. So when we get to Acts chapter 2, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he's appeared to his disciples on a number of occasions. Side note, if you're just beginning to explore the Christian faith, these appearances were why the disciples believed that Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. In fact, most scholars will grant that the disciples claimed to have some kind of experience that they believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. And so you can actually make a very strong historical case for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so Jesus appeared to his disciples a number of times, and Luke records one of these interactions with his disciples. And here's what he writes. Jesus said to his disciples, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, this is such a fascinating passage. Think about this for a moment. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has appeared to his disciples. Jesus has opened the minds of his disciples so they could understand the scriptures. Anybody wish that Jesus would do that for you? I mean, that had to be a pretty incredible moment, right? Jesus opened their minds. They could understand the scriptures. Then Jesus summarizes the gospel message for them. He tells them who the target audience is for this message, the whole world. And then he reminds them, you all are going to be the ones. You're going to be my witnesses. You all are the ones who are going to take this message everywhere. Now, you would think at this moment, it's go time, right? I mean, he's given them all that they need. You would think that he would say, all right, guys, get after it. But that's not what he does. Instead, he says, wait. Wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, the takeaway for us is we cannot do what God has called us to do without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do what God has called us to do. Now, don't just think of this as being a missionary. You can't be the mom or the dad that God has called you to be. You can't be the lawyer or the engineer that God has called you to be as his son or daughter without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I've got so many crazy stories from when I was a graduate student. I want to tell so many of them so badly. I'll just tell you one since I'm not here very often, and so why not, right, Richard? So when I was a graduate student, one of the requirements for the PhD in mathematics is you had to demonstrate reading knowledge of either French, German, or Russian, because mathematical papers that are not written in English, as probably most of you know as major math students, are um, typically written in either French, German, or Russian. So I decided before I spent a lot of time studying French so I could read it, uh, read math papers in French, I thought I would just give it a go. Why not? And so the professor who oversees this exam walks me down to the mathematics library, and he says, okay, what's your area of focus in mathematics? And I tell him, functional analysis and mathematical physics. 
And so he goes to that section of the mathematics library. Then he picks a random book off the shelf in that section in French. Then he chooses, goes to a random page in that book and says, okay, why don't you translate the next four pages or so into English? You've got an hour. Well, as it turns out, just a couple of days before this, I had checked out a book in English that was based on that book in French. Not only that, I had just happened to be studying that specific section that he wanted me to translate from French. Now, I know almost no French at all, but I produce a flawless translation of this mathematics into French. So this guy grades this, and he goes, wow, this is really good. It's like, thank you. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in what God has called us to do. And so if anybody ever wonders, do I have reading knowledge of mathematics and French? Yes. Yes, I do. And I have the test to prove it. So anyway, we cannot do what God has called us to do without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But here's the question we want to ask today. How do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? How do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Let's just pause a moment and pray as we begin. Father, we love you. Lord God, I thank you for your presence among us right now. Thank you, Lord, that when you are present, anything is possible. Lord, will you encourage your people today? Strengthen your people today. Pour out the power and presence of your Holy Spirit on each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is the birth of the New Testament church. This is one of the most pivotal moments in church history. The Holy Spirit is launching the church into mission right from the beginning. Now, notice how this passage begins. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Somebody say, all together. All together. Turn to a neighbor and say, all together. together. They were all together. God poured out his Holy Spirit when his people gathered together. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, what you'll discover is that this is not unusual. This is typical. God loves to pour out his spirit when his people are gathered together. So, for example, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are being threatened by the religious leaders for preaching in the name of Jesus. And so, after they receive these threats, they immediately go back to the family of brothers and sisters who are following Jesus, and they begin to pray. And here's what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, this is so powerful. Notice, even though they're being threatened, they don't pray that God would protect them. They know they're going to suffer. Instead, they pray for boldness. They pray for boldness. And then they go on to say, God, as we take your word everywhere, God, we're asking that you would stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders. In other words, they know we can't convince the people around us to follow Jesus. But you can. But you can. Now, how does God respond to their prayer? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There is power in the gathered community because God is present. God is present. There is power when God's people gather together because God is present. So it's so important that we don't miss this. One of the most important ways that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit is by showing up. Is by showing up. Is gathering with the brothers and sisters. Have you noticed how many of the lowest moments that we experience as human beings are characterized by isolation? Have you noticed that in your own life? Luke records a really striking example of this in his gospel. Now again, if you're just beginning to explore the Christian faith, what you'll find as you read through the gospels is that there is an acknowledgement of a spiritual reality. And so Jesus often interacts with different spirits, and Luke is going to describe that in this passage. It says in Luke chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains, and notice this part, and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Did you catch that? The enemy, demonic spirits, they want to drive us into isolation and pull us away from the people that we were made to connect with. Now again, this is such a contrast to what we see in the book of Acts. Over and over in the book of Acts, the people are gathering together, whether in public, in their homes, all kinds of places. Acts chapter 1, they all join together constantly in prayer. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Later on in chapter 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They raised their voices together in prayer to God and on and on throughout the book of Acts. And God loves to pour out his spirit when his people are gathered together. And once again, the enemy does just the opposite. He pulls us apart. This demonized man had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Although God can pour out his Holy Spirit on anybody, anywhere. But so often he chooses to do it when his people are gathered together. In fact, do you know that one of the most common ways 
that God meets us with his presence is when we pray for one another and place our hands on one another. This is one of the most common ways that God imparts his Holy Spirit to people. In fact, one of my favorite examples of this is the Apostle Paul. So you may know, if you have some familiarity with the Christian faith, that the Apostle Paul was uh, a man named Saul, originally, who uh, persecuted the church. In fact, he would travel around to different places and would find Christians and would get them thrown in prison. Well, does anybody remember how the Apostle Paul became the Apostle Paul, how he became a follower of Jesus? Anybody remember? Jesus appeared to him. Now, wouldn't that be a pretty incredible testimony? Hey, Pastor Bert, like, how did you become a follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus personally appeared to me. All right, that would be pretty awesome. Actually, not too many years ago, we had a young woman from Iran who had a story very similar to that. She was becoming disillusioned with Islam, but she was still seeking God. And she told us that one day about 4 a.m., her room filled with light, and a being appeared to her and said, it's not about following any religion. It's about following me. It's about following me. A couple of days later, she told one of our campus ministers about this and became a follower of Jesus. So sometimes that does happen. That's not my testimony. All right, so Paul becomes a follower of Jesus because Jesus personally appeared to him. Now, do you know how he got filled with the Holy Spirit? God sent another person to put his hands on him and pray for him. Now, again, this is so interesting, right? Paul becomes a follower of Jesus by Jesus personally appearing to him. But to impart the Holy Spirit to him, God sends another person named Ananias. Here's what Luke tells us. The Lord called to Ananias in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now, do you notice what's happening here? Ananias doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go. All right, just quick confession. I'm a pastor, and sometimes I don't want to show up on Sunday morning. Yeah. All right, that's my experience sometimes. Maybe that's your story this morning. Maybe somebody drug you here, you know, and they're like, hey, you want to come to church with me? And you were like, ah, and you kind of felt strong-armed into it, right? But you know what? God meets us with his spirit when we gather with other people. And so God pours out his spirit when we get together with other people. Don't underestimate the power of showing up in each other's homes, in Sunday services like this. Don't underestimate the power of showing up. I can remember when I became a follower of Jesus. I was a college student, and um, I was my first job, I was a sandwich artist at a Subway restaurant. It was a pretty spectacular position. And um, I often had the closing shift, and so I would work late after midnight, mopping the floors, so many incredible stories about the things that would happen. You know, if someone shows up at Subway at like 1130, there's going to be a story there. And so there were lots of amazing moments. But I was in a season in my life where I wasn't even fully sure if God existed. But I knew things weren't right in my life. 
And so I began to call out to God, not even completely convinced that he existed, but just in case. And to my great surprise, God met me as I began to call out to him. And so this transition happens in my life, and I'm hungry for God, and I want to know him. And so while I was in college, a friend of mine invited me to attend a new church that was meeting at somebody's house. And I remember thinking, can you do that? Like, can a church meet at somebody's house? That was so weird to me. But I was hungry for God, and so I showed up, and I had never been to a service like this in my life before. These people sang for like 45 minutes. And I remember thinking at the time, like, all these songs are too high for me. My voice is killing me. I kept looking at my watch, I was like, are these people ever going to stop singing? <laughs> then this guy gets up to preach, and he was like John the Baptist. I mean, he preached for like an hour and a half. I don't think he took a breath the entire time. And he preached from like the index to the max. I think he touched like every book in the entire Bible. And you know what? It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Because God was present with his people. Don't underestimate the power of gathering together. God loves to pour out his spirit when we gather together. Number two, if we're going to co cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we have to do what God is leading us to do. We have to do what God is leading us to do. You know, for some reason, a lot of us have this tendency to think that, you know, if God is at work, we don't really have to do anything. We just let go and let God, right? Well, you know, sometimes that's the right, things to, right thing to do. But you know, in my experience, that's not typical. God wants us to be involved. We get to participate. There's something that God has called us to do. So look with me again at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All right, quick question here. Who sent the wind, God or the disciples? Not a trick question. God sent the wind. All right, you're nailing it. All right, verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Okay, who sent the tongues of fire? You're on fire, nailing it, all right? Next verse. Uh, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, who filled them with the Holy Spirit? God did, man, God should get like a raise here. I mean, he's doing everything, right? He's just really nailing it here. All right, in the verse four. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so who spoke in tongues? The disciples did. God was not going to force their mouths to move. If somebody was going to testify to all these peoples, see, the day of Pentecost, you had Jewish people from all across the Roman Empire gathered together, and these disciples had to open their mouths. If God was going to speak to them, they had to do that. God was not going to force them to do that. And see, if we're going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we have to do what God is calling us to do. Look, he shows up, he moves, he pours out his spirit, but it's up to us to do what God is calling us to do. He's not going to do it for us. I can remember when Jennifer and I were very young, just married, like 25 years ago. I had just turned 23. She was still 21. We were starting out as campus ministers, and we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, just 
almost no experience. We were just kind of bright-eyed and, yeah, let's, you know, believe God, it's going to be amazing. And uh, so we were, we were leading the summer Bible study, and we had this massive camp, campus group. It had to be like five students or something. It was just, revival was breaking out on the college campus. So we're leading this small little Bible study, and I got this great idea that we should pray for God to speak to us while we're there. And so I said, hey, is there anybody who could really use some direction from God? And this young woman named Novella raised her hand, and I said, okay, awesome. Novella, how about you come and stand in the middle, and we'll hold hands around you. Now, again, we didn't have very many people, so it was a real tight turn. <laughs> anyway, so you stand in the middle, we'll hold hands around you, and we'll just wait to see if God might speak something to us to encourage you. Now, this sounded like an incredible idea, it was not a great idea. We had no idea what we were doing. So we're standing there, and, and we're like all just, you know, straining to hear something from God. You know, it's like if you hold hands for a while, like people's hands start getting sweaty. It's so gross, right? So we're standing here, and it's getting increasingly awkward, and nobody's saying anything. And then I remember, oh, wait a second, I'm in charge. Oh, Great. And now I'm like beating myself up. This is such a stupid idea. Why am I doing this, right? And so we're straining. And at this point, I'm getting desperate. I'm thinking like, God, please. <laughs> Just say something to somebody. So we're here. Our hands are sweaty. It's gross. We're waiting. And finally, this thought floods into my mind. She needs to study the Bible. Now, immediately, my response to this is, well, this is dumb. Everybody should read the Bible. Right? This is not some great revelation from God. If I say this, this is going to sound so stupid. And so we're sitting there waiting, but this thought is just flooding my mind. It won't go away. So finally, I take this bold step of faith in our huge Bible study, and I say, Novella, I think God might, and I qualify like a hundred ways, like he might perhaps be suggesting to you that maybe <laughs> you might think about possibly studying the Bible. And that was it. That was the big revelation from God. And then I closed us in prayer. Thank God this is over. You know, go to yourself. Don't do that again. Well, what I didn't know at the time was that Novella was a meteorology major, super sharp student, but she was beginning to feel led into ministry. And so she thought, you know, as soon as I graduate this degree in meteorology, I think I need to go to Bible college because I want to work with middle school and high school students. And she had been asking God for confirmation to take that step. So when I said, you need to study the Bible, her thought was like, yeah, perfect. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for the confirmation. My thought, on the other hand, was, oh, this is such a failure. This is so stupid. I didn't find that out, by the way, until years later. She could have told me afterward. Anyway, didn't do that. What's my point? We've got to step out and do what God is calling us to do. He's not going to do it for you. Do you know how people become followers of Jesus? Somebody's got to step out and make an invitation or invite them to coffee or invite them over for dinner or invite them to a small group or a Sunday service, right? Do you know how people get better in their lives? They've got to take a step and decide, you know what? I've got to get healthy. I've got to get healthy. Now, the Holy Spirit was present in that moment, but we still had to do what God was calling us to do. And so you're the one. You've got to pray that prayer. 
You've got to take that step. You've got to reach out to that person. You've got to share your testimony. God's not going to do for us what he has called us to do. You know, there were all kinds of people in Jerusalem who saw the things that the disciples of Jesus saw, but never took a step. All kinds of people saw it, but they never took a step. In fact, Stephen, who was martyred, challenged his fellow Jews with this. He said, you stiff-necked people, yikes, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. We don't want that to be our story. We want to take the steps that God is calling us to take. You know, Peter saw an opportunity on the day of Pentecost. Again, think about this for a moment. They've been praying by themselves. They've been kind of hiding a little bit from the religious leaders. They're praying. God pours out his spirit. And it's basically a pretty wild moment. I mean, there's this rushing wind. A crowd gathers. Um, they start speaking in tongues. It wasn't quiet. People are accusing them of being drunk. And so in this moment, I mean, there are mockers there, actually. And so, in fact, listen, listen to what the response is. It says, amazed and perplexed, the people in the crowd asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Now, I don't know if you know about Philadelphia football fans. Our fans in Philadelphia are kind of notorious. If you go to a football game, it's not difficult to figure out who's drunk. <laughs> they are very loud. I was at a game one time, and four seats away from me was a fan. We were on the opposing team side, and he yelled the entire game at the other team, I hate you! I hate you! Like, I was like, wow, this guy's got incredible perseverance. Anyway, <laughs> it's not hard to figure out who's drunk. Very loud. So, the reaction here is mixed. So notice, Peter could have, at this moment, gone in a lot of different directions. He could have said, hey guys, look, there are mockers out there in the crowd. We just need to shut this thing down before it gets too crazy. We'll come back and try again another time. Or he could have said something like, hey, just ignore them. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. But he doesn't do either of those things. He sees the opportunity. He sees that God's spirit is at work right now. And so he stands up and he preaches a message in which thousands of lives end up getting transformed forever. See, when the opportunity comes, it's up to us to take a step. It never feels comfortable. You've got to take that step. So we recently got a building for one of our church locations, really cool um, traditional uh, church space, and we've been doing some renovations. And the contractor is a really great guy. And he and I have been building a relationship together. And so a couple of months ago, I'm working, and he pops by my office, which he likes to do sometimes, and he starts striking up a conversation. And have you ever been in one of those conversations where you're kind of there, but not there? Like you're talking, but in the back of your head, you're thinking, I have so much to do right now. Thanks for coming by, but see ya. It's kind of one of those moments. I didn't, you know, was, I wasn't really getting like an A as a pastor in that moment, you know. Um, but as we continue to talk, it becomes clear he wants to talk about God right now. And so we start talking, and I can feel the Holy Spirit beginning to fill up the room. And then he says to me, how could somebody like me ever be accepted by God? And we start to talk about the grace of God and the cross of Jesus Christ and how our God 
can forgive anybody who turns their hearts to him. How he can make us new from the inside out and give us the promise of eternal life. And it was such a powerful moment. The Holy Spirit was there. But guess what? We had to have the conversation. The Holy Spirit was moving, but we had to take a step. We had to have the conversation. We've got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We've got to do what he is leading us to do. Number three, we need to learn the ways of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn the ways of the Holy Spirit. So, again, the crowds hear these things that are going on on the day of Pentecost, and as we saw, their reaction is, what does this mean? Translation, what in the world is happening right now? What is going on? We hear these languages. What is happening? Now, see, many times our relationship with the Holy Spirit can feel a little mysterious. So let me start with a different relationship, a relationship that's slightly less mysterious, marriage. <laughs> Keyword, slightly less mysterious. So Jennifer and I have been married for over 25 years now, and when we were first married, I was surprised all the time, right? I did not know her ways. We came from very different family backgrounds. So just one example, in my family, if somebody said, hey, do you want to go to the mall? I mean, within like five minutes, we are out the door, in the vehicle, on our way to the mall. Now, in Jennifer's family, if someone says, hey, you want to go to the mall? It could be hours, <laughs> right? You might not leave for a really long time because maybe you want to eat lunch first. Or maybe you want to see if anybody else wants to come along with you. Or maybe you want to make sure you have all the items that you need to return to the stores when you're at the mall. Or maybe you want to plan the whole day. Now, all of this was very confusing to me at first. I remember thinking, if we want to go to the mall, why aren't we going to the mall? We're just, we're just still sitting here. And as it turned out, again, they had very good reasons for this. It wasn't right or wrong. It was just different. Now, after 25 years, I know her ways so much better, right? Lots of listening, lots of conversations, some arguments, some disagreements, some moments. But after that, as you observe, you begin to learn each other's ways. And so now I know she loves to include other people in what we're doing. She loves togetherness. She likes her spaces to be in order. Anybody else like that? Yeah, like seven people. Okay, great. Um, she doesn't want to waste money. She likes having the right song for the right moment. She loves to capture memories with pictures. And I love all of those things about her. But I didn't know all of that at the front end. I had to learn her ways. Well, in the same way, if we're going to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing, we've got to learn his ways. We've got to learn his ways. You know, what we desire and what the Holy Spirit desires are not always the same thing. Did you know that? In fact, the Apostle Paul says this, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Look, I hate to burst your bubble here, but you can't always trust your instincts. Sometimes your instincts stink, right? Sometimes when you look deep inside of yourself, what you actually find is rage, or anxiety, or jealousy, or selfishness or overindulgence, or isolation, or manipulation, or a thousand other unsavory things. Or maybe you look inside, and it's not necessarily a terrible thing, but it's just not necessarily what the Holy Spirit wants. Maybe you just want to be comfortable. Guess what? God does not always prioritize our comfort. Maybe you just want to be number one. Maybe you want to be first. 
And you want to be uber successful. Well, is that what the Holy Spirit wants? So we've got to learn what the Holy Spirit values. And thank God he tells us. In fact, the series that you've been in as a church family about the fruit of the Spirit, God is showing us. This is all about showing us what the Holy Spirit values. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. See, Paul writes these things to us so that we will know what the Holy Spirit values. Now, it's not enough just to know what the Holy Spirit values. We want what these what the Holy Spirit values to characterize our lives, right? It's not just about knowing. It's about these things so getting on the inside of us that it begins to shape how we look at the world, how we act, how we think. Psalm 1 is a great example of how this works. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. And it begins this way. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now this is really interesting. Notice there are three degrees here of disconnection with God. Right? It begins with walking in the counsel of the wicked. See, this is allowing other people who are not pursuing the good or the right or the just or the holy, we begin to allow their ideas to influence us and shape how we live our lives. And then it goes on next to talk about those who stand in the path of sinners. Now I'm beginning to identify. I'm standing. This is my way. This is my path. I'm beginning to identify with those who distance themselves from doing what is right and just and what God desires. And finally, it describes the individual who sits in the seat of scoffers. Now you've gotten all the way to now you're the person encouraging other people to live in a way that God doesn't value or desire or lead us to live. Now see, what we're looking for is that same progression, but not in turning away from God, but in leaning into God. We want those same things to get in our hearts. So it says, Blessed is the person who does not do this, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. See, it's not just about knowing what the Holy Spirit values. It's beginning to put our minds on it over and over again, turning it over so little by little it begins to characterize how we live our lives. And so as we begin to walk around, the filter that we're looking at life through is that that's shaped and defined by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is why Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Do you know that you can know what God wants but daily choose to set your mind on something else? You can set your mind on worry or on how anxious you feel all the time or bitterness toward another person. You can put your mind on that. But Paul says, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. See, so if we're going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we've got to keep choosing to set our minds on the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. God's Spirit is an absolute non-negotiable for us to fulfill what God has called us to do. It's up to us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We've got to show up with God's people. 
Show up in times of prayer. Show up in homes. Show up in services. Show up in small groups. We've got to do what God is leading us to do. And we've got to allow the values of the Holy Spirit to be shaped on the inside of us. Let's just turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks today for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on my brothers and sisters. Pour out your Holy Spirit on my brothers and sisters. Pour out your Spirit on their families, on their children. Lord, I pray that you pour out your Spirit even in their workplaces, in their classrooms. Pour out your Spirit on your people. Lord God, I pray that you would revive those who need encouraged in the name of Jesus. I rebuke fear in the name of Jesus. Those who are wrestling with a fear on a daily basis, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? God, I pray that you would come with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit to strengthen and encourage in the name of Jesus. Lord, just as the disciples prayed for boldness, God, I pray for courage among your people. God, pour out fresh courage in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that men and women would take steps of faith this week in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that you are at work by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that your people would come to you boldly in prayer. Lord, your word says that we should boldly approach your throne of grace in our time of need. Thank you, God, that we can come to you in our time of need. Lord, I pray for those wrestling with sadness, disappointment. God, I pray that you'd be our healer, our comforter, that you'd restore our souls. Thank you that your word says you are near to the brokenhearted. Thank you, God. You are near to the brokenhearted. Lord, I pray that you'd wipe away every tear. Lord, that you would comfort with your presence. Comfort with your presence, oh God. Father, I thank you for the people that are going to be welcomed into this spiritual family over the coming weeks and months. Lord, I pray that you would bring them by your spirit. And Lord God, that this family would welcome them with open arms. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.